you know, where, where you overcome the elusive mercurial quality of great shots, great shot experiences, is to start labeling all shots as an expression of pure beauty. They are beautiful in their own way, you know, like, like, your, like your family members, you know, it doesn't mean they're perfect. It means they're beautiful and they, they're meaningful to you. Welcome to the Pure Golf Collective. We are your hosts, Carter Bennett and John Roy. Together through this, we bring a new lens on themes of development, performance, and process. The idea of the collective is to investigate and celebrate the intrinsic values of golfers and the obsession to the purity of the game. The collective is not just who we hear on this podcast, but any person invested into growth and connection to golf. We are golfers celebrating all that is pure in the game we love. Welcome back to the Pure Golf Collective, episode number six. John and I today, we're going to be discussing this concept of tactics and strategy with a twist on how they can be used to our advantage in creating more acceptance and maybe starting to suggest how you can use tactics out on the golf course in your decision making as part of your shot experience in creating more conviction and commitment into those decisions you're making. Also, we're going to be introducing a legend of golf statistics and analytics, Peter Sanders, who is one of the pioneers in the analysis and meaning of statistics in golf. He's been going at it for over 25 years and is the creator and owner of Shot by Shot. To get us started last week, we had the second Pure Golf Collective Fantasy Tour event. So great to see the live leaderboard drawing everybody's attention. I know I was fascinated and zoomed into that. What I also enjoy seeing in PGA Tour events is how human these players are. I think it's interesting to see how These guys can have weeks where they struggle just like the rest of us in this game. Um, Yeah, the um, Matthew Wolf piece is is worth talking about in the context of a pure golf collective as well. His his jackassery um, at dealing with adversity and withdrawing out of out of an event is is maybe one of the golden rules that uh, that needs to be avoided for our future generations. So it runs the risk of inspiring similar actions from others, which is part of the weight of playing professionally and the the morality weight that's on you. You've got to sort of represent the proper morality all the time. And that's inhuman to expect that. But at the same time, it was somewhat tragic to see that and also to immediately sense the ripple in the younger generations of what that means to their ethics. And now that essentially created a trapdoor for our impulses. You know, if, if I don't feel up to it, I'll just leave. That's not how we approach this process of mastery. You've got to embrace it, see the obstacles, take them and so on. Now, I don't know the guy at all. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I don't mean to speak out of turn there, like some crazy stuff might have happened. And there I am with a with a foot in my mouth as I discuss these things. But, you know, if if this person is an object and he is, a you know, a superhero who's representing a, a certain thing, I thought the morality that he represented, I, you know, that was a movie I wouldn't want to show my kids. 
it's all good. He's very human. And so, so I almost don't even blame him so much as I think that the, the tour or those around him need to step up and suggest anyway, that that was an error. And we learn from errors. Everyone makes errors. It's important to move forward from these things rather than dwelling on like the fact that he left or whatever. It's more just, I think there needs to be a wake behind it of dealing with the disappointment, which we are all going to have. And of course that's human. That's fine. People get two minute penalties in hockey for doing bad things. But you get out of the box eventually and you you restore your, your, you know, your trust in the game and all of that stuff. So that's more where I was going with that one. By the way, and the other note as well, just as you were talking about watching through the lens of the Pure Golf Collective uh, fantasy pool, uh, I was too, of course, as you can probably tell by my tone, because I chose Matthew Wolf and uh, was, <laughs> was particularly bitter by his trapdoor decision because uh, it, it certainly hurt, hurt my uh, self-serving uh, interests as well. We all make mistakes, and I think this is uh, a core theme of today's episode as well as we're considering tactics. We dive a little bit deeper into this idea of acceptance. Our acceptance as golfers is generally pretty low in the shot experience once we've, we've hit the shot. As we've talked about in past episodes, even shots that are good enough to great, we still have a tendency to not accept how it went. You know, the classic, oh, it was a little toey or I hit it a little thin. Even when the shot is gaining strokes, we still want to resist and find the negative things from that experience. I know something for me in my development as a golfer and a coach and something that I learned from you, John, is this idea of acceptance. And it comes from or this skill was heightened by a deeper understanding of tactics and shot distribution. When I gained a better insight into the probabilities and the distributions of any one of my particular golf shots, now hitting golf shots and seeing where they go with that understanding, I was much more able to accept the outcome and my reactions would be much more appropriate for the experience and much more productive for my performance. Reaction to shots is always a construct. Then, then you can start to disable that constructive piece that you do naturally, which is to add judgment and ego into every shot. You can be on the range looking over your shoulder to see if the guy beside you noticed X or Y, whatever, it's a good result or a bad result and so on. You know, where, where you overcome the elusive mercurial quality of great shots, great shot experiences, is to start labeling all shots as an expression of pure beauty. They are beautiful in their own way, you know, like, like, your, like your family members, you know? They're, it doesn't mean they're perfect. It means they're beautiful and they, they're meaningful to you and that they are an expression. And that is probably a cornerstone of improvement as well, just to get more pragmatic about all of this. That would be a cornerstone of improvement because then you can enjoy the roughness of learning, the fact that it isn't perfection. Learning doesn't actually happen in the perfect as much anyway, let's say. Uh, I think I must. I think I learn even when I hit great shots too. But, but, I, but you're really learning if you don't construct negative emotive judgment. And instead you construct, wow, that's a beautiful attempt. I think that's where you would really get these catapults of learning if you could learn to restructure how you view each and every shot you hit. Every shot experience, although a verb, gives us an opportunity for self-expression, which is inherently beautiful let alone the result of it, the extrinsic, now back to our overriding theme from week to week, right? Like the sooner mm -hmm. we can let go of the extrinsic value of things and, and get into the intrinsic beauty of things, the sooner we are, I think, fulfilled and satisfied as athletes. At the end of the day, it is, it is just an expression of behavior. 
I think that's yeah. a really important exactly. theme that we're talking about. Why, why do we, we call about. it anymore? Yeah. The golf swing and the, the hitting of the ball as if it's something that we control. But when you understand the science of it, it's like, no, we actually have no control. <laughs> it's like so <laughs> wild. We have literally no control on this expression, but we can definitely create yeah. some command and some predictability with the patterns that we create from how we train patterns and how we use tools of mindfulness and how we embrace and accept the experience. I, you talked a little bit there about like the environment and, and the, the harmony with it. And it's exactly that. It's like, how do you allow the, the perceptions within your experience to provoke better expression of behavior? To jive, to, to fit jive. in. Right. So it's, it's all about this like sensory and engagement. The, the behavior is just a reflection of how you've perceived the moment. Acceptance, you know what I mean? And I think that's sort of an overarching buzz about the, the purest shot experiences is an acceptance of the fact that the shot you just hit is the best you could possibly do on that shot. It's almost like it's preordained. You know, the outcome was going to be similar to that. And now you did the best you could with that. Um, and that, that should be a pat on the back from shot to shot. But for many of us, it's a judgment against this like form of the shot, right? We create this like platonic form, this structure of like this idealized self, um, which can be very valuable for motivation and goal setting. But in shot making, you know, we have this like false belief that like our shot is supposed to turn out like X. And then when it doesn't, somehow we are disappointed because it didn't match the form of things. But the reality is a human, and if we go back into our platonic structures, I mean, the sooner as a human, you can accept the fact that you will never be the form but only you can try to achieve it as in like, it's a process to get to it, but you'll never actually get there. And once you can accept that, then you realize that the wisdom of Ben Hogan's comment when he plays the most pure golf round of all time and admits in the interview afterwards that he hit one or two perfect shots. They're, they're not all perfect. That's for sure. I thought one of the coolest videos I ever saw was when Tiger Woods shot a 65 at the PGA championship just three years ago, where they showed every one of his shots in very like fast motion. It took like four minutes to see all the shots. Or whatever. Yeah. But anyway, it looked like, he might've shot 80, 87. Totally. Like it was unbelievable behind this tree in the mud, uh, weeds up to his neck, you know, whatever. And it was one of the most beautiful experiences he could have had. Like it was unbelievable how well he played, you know, how many great mm. shots he hit and blah, 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 and all that stuff. But they're not great. They're just okay or whatever, depending on your judgment scale. Right. And so of course I think what he has in his maturity and a lot of the great players have is an acceptance that their shots are great, even though they're not perfect. And the sooner you can kind of let go of that perfection. And it's ironic. It's almost like the, the higher your handicap, meaning the less skilled you are at the sport, the higher your expectations are and the more out of alignment it all is. With the, the reactions and the acceptance to it, like let's just use the Molinari example. I think elite performers anyway are going to be able to recognize where they had the leak, right? It's like, where did they not allow the harmony or where did they yeah. resist the harmony in the mind, the body, and the environment? Where did they not, where did they miss out on priming the yeah. system? I would bet top dollar if we were to ask him, were you engaged in the moment or were you full of chatter over top of the golf ball as you were trying to hit it? He'd very easily say, yeah, I was thinking about a million different things mm -hmm. or five different things. I was taking it for granted. There was a there was a miss in his experience. There was a there was a leak, as I like to call them. Oh, no question. Yeah, forget forgetting and learning and all of those pieces, and not like breaking his club over his knee at that point and saying that's not me, but instead embracing the fact that that is you, 
and you got to learn from that moment so that you can have a greater chance of stacking the deck for future great shots. Absolutely. And I think this is a, a skill that needs to be trained for many golfers in that you can intentionally start to drive your reactions to your in your post shot. So once the ball is hit, I can intentionally do something. And with that, hopefully our state will be better managed. Our memory of the experience will be appropriately stored for recall in future use. So that is hopefully the forgetting of bad shot experiences or poor results and the recalling or creating of strong memories to shot experiences that we enjoyed and want more of. But let's take a quick kind of pause on our discussion here, John, and transition into the introduction to Peter Sanders. Peter Sanders is the creator and owner of Shot by Shot and is a pioneer in golf analytics. He is one of the guys that coined the term stroke gain, stroke loss, and really has revolutionized the way that we use statistics and analytics in the game of golf at the highest level and also for the golfers that would perhaps be listening into this episode today. So this is the first part of our discussion with Peter, just an introduction to who he is, where he's coming from. And next week's episode, we'll dive deeper into some of the keys to his principles that he's discovered over the last 30 years of diving very deep into the analytics in the game of golf. Is it possible? Yeah. Well, hey, I'll say this, Peter, just as a, as a point of reference. I derive tremendous satisfaction from watching your work over the years. I, I am transported to our encounter at Wedgefield as we, when we first met and, and kind of connected so quickly on this whole idea, right? Like I remember those yeah. scorecards that I would mail theoretically to you effectively, <laughs> you know what I mean? And all that stuff, right? In the origins yeah. of it. So, so I absolutely love this stuff. I love what you've been doing uh, with this. And I've always, always been amazed at how under the radar you've been, despite, you know, to be honest, the fact that I see you on social media everywhere and all this stuff too, but I still, you know, think of you as sort of a, a buddy who's just got a really cool project, a pet project of sorts. Um, but I'm not surprised either that it's, you know, caught fire or caught the wind a little bit and, you know, and is so popular uh, now, which is cool. And so a lot of what I'd like to talk about with you is, you know, in your expertise, which is considerable, how does one get better? How does one find more happiness and fulfillment in the sport? And how, I guess, the obvious question, how does analytics play into that? If you don't mind, maybe you could start by telling us a little bit about yourself, and then we can get dive into that question. Thank you for, you know, including me. Uh, I really appreciate your longtime loyalty and, and friendship. Yeah, I was in the reinsurance business, uh, which is like Lloyd's of London, insurance of high risks, and uh, had two things come together. I joined a really nice golf club, was lucky enough to get in. And I also had been uh, fooling around with, not fooling around with computer models to help analyze the businesses that I was looking at uh, to perhaps underwriting, as well as the businesses that I had on the books to follow their, uh, you know, their progression of losses versus income and all that. And um, this was computer models that were just simple 
equations uh, in, in links and all that. Before there were ever computers at our desks, I would, the, the company would uh, assign a young person who would roll in this computer and a printer and, and, uh, and uh, I would say, I, I want to do this times this divided by that. And, and they do it. And then I'd get the answers. And I actually traveled all over the world. And remember the old cups where you put the phone into these two cups and it would go. Oh, yeah. And so yeah. I would be yeah. in London in Lloyd's of London and I would be, you know, doing my little work and sending it into the home office and then they'd run it and send it back to me through the cups. And, and uh, people thought I was a genius. And Amazing. I, really, I really wasn't it just, I was yeah. ahead of the game in technology at that, at that time. So then the two things that yeah. came together was my love of golf, uh, getting into this wonderful, uh, you got to come down and play with me. It's a, it's a fabulous golf course. And the need that I felt once I got into this club to improve my first handicap was a 14 and I was happy to have that but I I had this goal of that I had to get to single digits and my ultimate goal is I wanted to be able to be a legitimate five handicap golfer which was in my parlance at that time that was the end of the game if I could become a five handicap golfer and we had in our in the clubhouse in the men's locker room was a huge black board where you stick letters on it and all of our names were on it and next to our names were our handicaps and the sub single digit handicaps were in a different color and i wanted my <laughs> i wanted my name in a different color and so i called the pro and said i want a lesson i told him my goals I wanted to be able to you know get down to single digit. I wanted to qualify for the club championship. I wanted to win it. I wanted to qualify for the, the Connecticut amateur, blah, blah, blah. And he laughed at me and, and said, well, well, let me see you hit a five iron. And I realized as I got to know him over the years, he was a delightful man, but he was old school. And I was presenting him with a challenge and things that I don't think anyone had ever said to him. Like, I really want to improve. Don't just, you know, just don't tell me how to swing the club. And uh, anyway, yep. so his thing was, well, I'll start practicing. <laughs> and, and I did. And, <laughs> and right. I also started keeping the, the statistics that everybody read about in Golf Digest and Golf Magazine. And I quickly realized that they were almost more unhelpful than they were helpful. You know, I was averaging two greens in regulation and I saw, because of the only comparative data was touring pros, I saw that I needed to average 11 and I was like, whoa, whoa, what, yeah. how do I do that? <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, it was numbers yeah. of putts. And then it came to me, yeah. I could create a computer model of how the game was played at scratch with every shot and compare myself and other people to it. And I set out to do that, had, had long, nice discussions with my bride that I was going to quit my job and, and go off in the world and revolutionize golf statistics. And she said, yep, let's go. And that, so that's what I did. And that was uh, 32 years ago. 
Amazing. It's come a long way. And uh, certainly the revolution has occurred. Eh? Would you not agree that now there's all sorts of competitors in the market? People have obvious connection to uh, the analytics of performance supporting the growth of skill. All of that kind of probability of performance stuff is certainly de rigueur across sport, let alone golf, which lends itself so perfectly to a thinking man's kind of chess match, as it were. Yeah. As, and as you said earlier, you know, why do we love this game so i i view it as five different games each each one of the major facets is really a different skill and has to be uh looked at in that way and practiced and in in that way you know driving is is a lot different than hitting an approach shot from 150 yards and then there's the short game which has many many different facets to it um and sand shots and then of course putting so, um, you know, that's, so that's the way we, we break it down. And, and the thing that um, you never asked me, the, the first question I always get is, you know, what you're talking about with shop, I said, is really interesting, but what if players weren't ready for that? Could I, couldn't I get one key statistic that will tell <laughs> me, you know, what, the, what they're good yeah. at and what they're not good at? And my answer is, there isn't one because if there were, I would not have a business and that we are all snowflakes. Everyone finds their own special way to shoot their number. And I, and everybody has uh, recognizable strengths and weaknesses from, from the top touring players to the, you know, sort of the, the beginners that, that have established a game. And if one can identify the strengths, and play two of them and and benefit from scoring by playing more to your strengths and if you can identify the weaknesses and work on them that's the fastest way to improve peter um i've spent a lot of years explaining your uh your system quote unquote and i don't mean to to lock it down because like you say you know snowflakes are everywhere in in this world and so i don't mean to suggest at all that it's a cold black and white system quite quite responsive actually as a system but nonetheless the idea of the 150 yards equaling 3.0 on average uh and so on and so forth could you speak a little bit to sort of how you gathered up the data and then were able to pivot it into useful information for for game development yeah and uh, good good work on the 150 uh, yards in the middle of the fairway i always uh, that's the example that i always use because people can relate to it and as i say the math is easier yeah exactly. but when i thought okay i have to create a computer model on how the game is played first of all you got to you got to get the data so I created the scorecard that you probably you would have never seen my original scorecard, which uh, with the one two three four evaluation. Uh, yes. Oh, you have seen it. Yeah, they they. Oh, I've seen it. Yeah. Shot yeah. based on the yeah. based on yeah. what they viewed as its uh, you know good the you know effectiveness effectively. Yeah. Four, four yeah. was a great shot. One was a mistake. Yeah. And uh, right. And they could enter uh, six full game shots up to two short game shots, and then the distance of their first putt and their number of putts. So it was a you know there was a lot to do, and um, mm -hmm. and I, and we got the distance of the approach shot and the distance of the short game shot. So 
I started going uh, basically door to door to instructors, to golf clubs. And, uh, and I'd get uh, a, a user uh, or a, a, an early adopter who, had, who thought that what I was doing, Chuck Cook was one, he was, he was fabulous. Um, and, and I would explain it to him and I, and you know, so that I get that. And we got lucky, I got um, Golf Digest schools. They were the, the top of the heap in terms of golf schools and they were five days. People would come from Canada, people would come from all over to go to uh, you know, Golf Digest schools. And, uh, and once they bought in, then I had all their instructors who, who bought in and used it with their own students. And I got Pinehurst, which was another great, well-known golf school. So lo and behold, in a little over a year, I had, I had 7,000 rounds uh, entered in my, in my system. So then I, I was able to sit down with my programmer and create the first model of what the down-in score was for the zero handicap level par from every position on the golf course. Mm-hmm. And, and it hasn't changed much at all uh, as, it, as the, the gaps have filled in, really, not the, not the, the majority. Mm-hmm. But, you know, we, we started with, you know, par four, you're standing on the tee, 4.0. Then, then you hit it to uh, 150 yards in the fairway. You, you've hit it to a 3.0 in one shot. You have gained or lost nothing. And then if you hit, hit it on the green to, to 30 feet, which is 2.0, you again have gained nothing. And if you two putt, you're, you've made par and you've, and you've gained and lost nothing. And, and it just worked so much better than I even envisioned it could. Meanwhile, other people were measuring how many fairways did I hit. Greens, which might maintain its relevance a little bit as we, as we continue to evolve, greens regulation seems to still speak to us a little bit anyway. But then we'd be saying something like, and I had 33 putts or some nonsense like that. And you kind of revolutionized that when you would hear I had 33 putts and then say, but what was the distance of your first putt on each of those greens? Can you explain how that sort of plays out? I mean, a lot of people struggle with that concept because they think that so many putts are ignored, quote unquote. Um, but having said that, I, would, I think you would explain it better than I would. Um, there's, a, there's a magic to this idea of the length of the first putt. Yeah, well, um, the, the PGA Tour gets the length of every putt. Um, and a lot of the new uh, adopters, the new competition out there, for for uh, for strokes gained analysis, they also get every putt. And now who the heck, if you have to re- record that yourself, who the heck wants to do it? And you don't right. need to, because so, so what I found is you get the first putt and the number it takes to get down, and you can c- yeah. compute very accurately the strokes gained. As I said, two putts from from thirty feet is uh, thirty feet is two point zero. Yep. So you have gained or lost nothing. There is no need for the uh, the second and third third putt. Um, and in our analysis, of course, we say you know you had so many three putts from so from these distances, and you can and you can work on that. If that is where you're losing the most uh, strokes to par on in your rounds, or is it that you're not making enough of the short ones? The the four and five foot, the three footers, the four and five footers, or the six and ten, um, but 
yeah, really all all we've ever needed. And I'm really surprised when when I see a, and I love it when I see a competitor come out and they have you recording the distance of all your putts. And just to be just to be clear about the equivalency of it, which is, I think the great irony is that you see them go to such great lengths to measure these other things and discover what you've been talking about forever, exactly analogous. Like it's the same as what you were saying. It's just much easier to figure out. Yeah, you've got three, three you had to work with on a two putt, two pieces of math to come up with the same answer as opposed exactly. to one Correct. piece of math. Um, and, and then there's another uh, side story on that on my LPGA players, um, they came to me, I used to take a group of them to dinner, you know, Wednesday and, you know, practice rounds. And then I'd, I'd stay through the thing and kind of follow people around and, and take those who, who, who liked me out to dinner. Um, and they said to me, it was Chris Shetter. I don't know if you remember her. Yeah, yeah, I remember. absolutely. Beautiful, absolutely. Yeah. beautiful woman. Yeah. And, and just typical a athlete. And her husband caddied for her, and and he became a, a good friend. And he was a he was a golf pro, uh, and we used to sneak off and play on, you know, when she was done. And anyway, but so at, at at dinner she said, you know, I'd like to know where I'm missing my my putts. And I said, well, what do you mean? She said, well, is it left, right, long, short, all that? And and I then side. other uh, young ladies at the table said, oh my God, yes, we could really use that. So I spent the, the time and the money to program a special little putting program to add on to where they would mark if they missed it right, left, right, long, know that. And, uh, and I gave it out. And as I said, I had at least 20 uh, LPGA players doing it and they all were so excited. And they Within a month, every single one of them stopped doing it. Even at the very highest level of the sport, people were yeah. reticent, like resisting the the computation. And they loved a lot yeah. of them. Had their caddies entering the shot by shot data for yeah. for them, but uh, but a lot of them did it themselves and and yeah. delightedly, you know they mm -hmm. and they. So I had the ability in that in that instance to talk to them about why, and every one of them said it's a major distraction. You miss yeah. a putt. And now you have to start thinking about the negative of where did I miss right. it? You really should be thinking about the positive of how am I going to make the next one? What an interesting idea it would be if golfers were to start thinking more positively after a missed shot. It's very much a skill and a challenge like we were kind of talking about there earlier on with the acceptance to where our golf ball goes. So the start of the discussion there with Peter, I think is a great introduction start to get a better sense of where he's coming from and how he over the last 30 or so years has created a revolution with golf analytics. For me, like I was suggesting earlier as well, is the use or the understanding of the probabilities of my shot outcomes has been almost paradigm shifting in how I create my decision for the golf shot at hand and also with how I accept to where my golf ball goes. In preparation for the golf shot, understanding that there is a probability that any shot is going to fall in a certain distribution in a shotgun pattern, not a rifle pattern, I can now start to select better optimal targets. Knowing that there's a higher probability of a miss, 
I'm going to start to miss into better spots. And in those better spots, my next shot is going to be relatively easy rather than taking on something, short-sighting myself and making it more of a challenge. Once the golf shot is hit and the ball goes wherever it goes, if I can see my ball went into what I would consider a normal distribution for, call it a one handicap golfer, I'm going to be quite all right with that. And this has been a huge skill for me and has really allowed me to have days where I can manage my state and my experience much more effectively, not get so caught up in the, oh, I hitting the ball bad today. And that means I can't score well. And then the PhD version of that is the self-analysis to the points you've been making about sort of preparation, right? Like, so now can I go back and, and, and observe myself as I prepared for that shot, you know, obviously mm-hmm. with my imagination, you know, and, and then can I give myself a high score there? Cause that's a controllable that I would like to own, uh, even though I can't control the result and the fact that I'm going to hit 78% of greens from 111 yards or whatever, that's just a fact. So 20, 22 of the hundred shots are, are missing the green and that's, that's one of them. So that's where we talk about acceptance. The pure like analytics that leads to acceptance is nice. Understand stats and therefore you can build acceptance into your, into your place for sure. And just to be clear about that, we call this our Pythagorean system, which we bring this up in all of our March break camps. His argument in an early day, which is actually preceding atomic principles like brilliantly thousands of years before it, but that everything is made up of small little parts. In his case, math. So if you start to look at a golf hole as being all of these statistical probabilities. It's just all, every blade of grass is a, is a new number of what you should probably score from there, right? So the fact that you hit a ball five yards right of the fairway and now you're in the rough is not a reason to snap the club on your knee because actually probability-wise, you just went from a 3.0, you should average three from there, to a 3.01, you should average three from there. And so there really is no harm done, you know, despite the fact that your ball faded, it hit the heel of the club, it wasn't perfect, the swing wasn't like the thing on the range that you just learn in your lessons and all of that nonsense goes away when you start to see this like script of numbers across a fairway or in the rough and in the trees even, to be honest. And even in the bunker beside the green, as long as you know that in a hundred repetitions, I'll average two and a half from that space. So you just hit it into the bunker and now you're in a 2.5 spot. That's not so bad. It's not that much worse than the 2.3 spot right beside the bunker. So there's no reason to be upset and therefore acceptance can fly in. And so mathematics and empiricism can really help us with acceptance, even though it's a spiritual esoteric idea, the the reality is that cold concrete facts can really contribute to the acceptance and the mood that we are in. And that's another, yet another way that the numbers and the emotions are interrelated. I'll give you just a funny little anecdote, but I'm playing with someone, you know, close to the family, you know, a family friend we're playing and, and on the seventh hole, I, I have a short putt and he and the others have been taking these short putts and then putting them in their pocket, you know, I'm going through the grind as it were, or whatever. Anyway, on the seventh hole, I miss the three footer, you know, and the, the gasp from these others was, was noticeable. You could hear it, you know, as in like, Oh my God, like a professional just missed a three footer as if in the platonic forms, right. That is never to occur. That's why we put it in our pocket, I guess, is the assumption that 100% of the time <laughs> when you have a snaky downhill, side hill, three footer, <laughs> you are going to hammer that thing into the back of the cup, put the pin in and move on to the next hole. So I miss it. But my mind is saying, oh, one of the, you know, 8% that I'll miss over my life and, you know, not a big deal. And, you know, I'll take some silver linings out of that miss and prepare myself for the next holes and probably play better today because of it. Thank you for the miss. 
his world. I mean, he can't even stop talking about it by the time we get to the next <laughs> He's talking, oh my God, how do you miss these? And this and that. I, I can only imagine this poor guy who, by the way, if I'm 93% of them, he must be 73% of them. Like, honestly, if we really look at it. And so what a, what a crazy uh, construct these people are putting into their mind. And therefore they're not accepting of the problem of golf, which is that it's really hard and you miss all the time. Yeah. I had a very similar experience playing with just some some members at the club and on the six hole it's a short par four tactically i normally don't hit driver but i was like i want to hit drivers today like that's it was one of my intentions was to hit lots of drivers so i hammer one and it misses and it actually fades a little bit more to the right fantastic i'm over on the fifth hole i have a clear shot 80 yards to the green no issue nothing really happens like you know on the tee guys are like oh it's right and it's like yeah but it's fine and the next hole we step up just hit it hard, hit it left. And I blast the thing and it goes left and it's kind of off into the trees a little bit. The, that guy goes, Ooh, like that's the, that's the don't miss right swing. Isn't it? I'm like, what? The compensation, like, yeah, the, yeah, the yeah, compensation classic. swing classic. to not miss right. And I was like, <laughs> I was like, no, as like, if you I, have this like crazy psychosis <laughs> now. Yeah. 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 I was like, no, I like, I just try to hit it hard and hit it left here. Like there's a 40% chance it's going to end in those trees, but I am 180 yards out on a par five. Like I'm just going to take my medicine and, and I'm in play and I'm happy. Yeah. It's, it is where it is. And like, I, I'm not worried about it. Why are you worried about it, bro? <laughs> well, and, and, and again, so exactly along the spectrum of handicaps, as we get higher and higher in handicap, again, meaning less skilled at the game, let's say, or whatever, it just seems like the acceptance quotient is diminished significantly to the point where a shot that goes miserably to the right is dealt with in a very psychotic way. As in like, oh my God, I have to stop that. I can never do that again. And therefore all future swings will be opposite of that versus the very skilled player who has already accepted the fact that of course, in my shotgun pattern, there are going to be some balls that fly right and some that fly left. And that's all good, which is the essence of acceptance in, in, in athletics. And I'm not saying that that's a tolerance. Like it's not saying like, oh, I'm happy to fade all of my future shots and we'll just see what happens. There's not a complete resignation so much as an acceptance of things that are outside of our control. When things are out of our control, we have to learn to accept them. And things that are in our control, i.e. the state or the neurophysiological uh, methods you use to get into a more conducive state of athletics, um, those ones are all controllable. And therefore, you know, you should be critical of yourself, unaccepting if you fail on them. But to, to be unaccepting of things that are out of our control is, is truly the definition of insanity. And as a result, you'll drive yourself insane, like literally. Yeah, and of course, that's what, that's what you, yeah, sure. Or yeah, definition of golf. Yeah, exactly. But it's largely because of these constructs and, and, and myths and stories we're telling ourselves that there is such a thing as a perfect, that I've got a rifle that I can like hit every shot exactly as need be. I just did on the range when I warmed up. I, sh I expect it to happen on all my repetitions. As a coach, you and I now can, can dive into that space and, and, and actually confront them maybe in a different environment, not live, but like later on in the day and say, Hey, by the way, remember on 11, you were six in your case, when you said that thing on the T or whatever, can, can we talk about that a little bit? Because that could be an indication that you're going to have trouble improving in this sport. And that's the funny thing about golf. Everybody knows it's a game of misses. You ask any golfer, Oh, yeah. you've heard about like, uh, it's called like a game of misses. Oh yeah, yeah. It's like, what does that mean to you? Right. Yeah. <laughs> but the second they miss their first shot, it's what I shouldn't miss that one. No, I shouldn't miss that one. You know, yeah. Yeah, exactly. they don't miss ever, but yeah. it is a game of misses. Anyway, I think this has been a, a great discussion and really looking forward to next week's episode where 
you and Peter dive a little bit deeper into his work and his findings over the last 30 years of analyzing and breaking down the statistics in the game of golf. For our listeners, check out Shot by Shot. You can go onto the website there and see what the Shot by Shot software has to offer. And perhaps maybe there's something for your game that you're looking for. We highly recommend it. As well as always, if you guys have any questions about the concepts and ideas that we are talking about on the show, feel free to reach out to us on Instagram, slide in the DMs there and let us know if you got a question. We would love to check in and uh, help support you guys in whichever way we can. Until next week, guys, enjoy celebrating all that is pure in the game we love. If you like the show, please subscribe and tell a friend or write a review. We look forward to continuing this journey with you all.